Amen. So I'm in the midst of a series right now on the book of James, and it's called Vital Christianity. And uh, I think we as a church are, are loving this book. I think it's happening. I can see it happening. I can tell. You guys are falling in love with James. Because most people, when we started the series, there was a lot of trepidation. People that didn't like the book, that felt it you know, to be heavy and, and harsh and just hard to, to hear and hard to do. Um, so we're, we're all the way up to James chapter 2. Uh, and tonight we're going to be uh, predominantly in uh, verses 9 through 14. Um, but as we, as we study this, man, there's such life. So it's written by, by James, uh, who, grew up, who grew up with Jesus as his half-brother. So let's, um, let's jump into James chapter 2, verse 9. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What use is it then, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? To start tonight, we're just going to cover the topic of partiality. And I want to read that passage from verses 9 through 11 again, and we'll talk about it. Verse 9, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So if you show partiality to part, you show partiality to the whole. If you're partial to part of sin, and we favor part of sin, we are guilty of it all. At this moment, I would like to thank James, the writer of this book, for stating the obvious when it comes to murder and adultery. Thank you, James. We, we get it. But let's not miss the point that's trying to be made here. This passage has one prevailing theme, and that's to drive home our need for the completed work of Jesus Christ. To drive home the point that we need Jesus. What killed Jesus? It wasn't Roman soldiers. It wasn't Jewish hypocrites. You know what killed Jesus? My sin. My sin. My sin cried, crucify. Declared and demanded, crucify. Crucify him. It was my sins. And I have never committed murder. I've never committed adultery. But my sins are the one that cried it. Your sins are the one that cried it. It was our sins that made it necessary that Jesus Christ pay the price for those sins, that he died on that cross. If you've ever sinned, and I suspect that there's at least a couple in here that have, 
then your sins did the same thing. We get hung up on our scale of sin. I, I have a fair amount of confidence. I have a fair amount of confidence that no one in this room has committed murder. I mean, how about this? That no one's been convicted of murder. Yeah, I got my eye on you, buddy. But we needed the blood of Jesus just as much as someone who did. We needed the, the, the completed work of Jesus Christ over our life as much as someone who did the sins that we deem as the really bad sins, the really ugly sins. You know, the bad sins. If we went around the room and said, what are the, you know, not good but acceptable sins? And what are the bad sins? We could all have answers. We would all answer right away what the bad ones are. Right? Now we'd be a little quieter on the ones that we consider to be acceptable, but we're going to talk about that tonight. If we show favoritism to part, we show favoritism to the whole. So let's just personalize this a little bit, shall we? We can't pick and choose sins. We can't favor certain sins. What are your favorite sins? Please don't answer. Just rhetorical. What, what, what are the acceptable sins? What are your favorite sins? What are the things that just come naturally to you? Maybe they're a default. Maybe in the midst of, of, of tough times or, or maybe not even in the midst of tough times. Maybe that's just your default. What are the things that we just instinctively go to and then we might half-heartedly reply to the Lord and say, Ah, Lord, I'm sorry. What are the ones that we've shown and demonstrated in our lives? A lack of a willingness to give up, to surrender these sins to the Lord because they're ours, because they're familiar. And because on our scale of wrongs, they're small. So we treat them as less important. We treat them as less deadly. And we're okay with them lingering around. You can't just kick out an old friend. Ah, he's harmless. He's a little crude sometimes, but he's never hurt anybody. God would beg to differ. The bloodstained, empty cross would beg to differ. Sin is sin is sin. And you know what? If we walk around with a mindset that there's a scale of sin, you guys, we take lightly the work of Jesus Christ. We take it lightly because we think that Jesus only died for the insert whatever you think are the bad sins. Yeah, he kind of died for me. I know. I mean, thank you, Lord. But I was pretty good. But he really died for that guy, for that girl. No, there's no scale. Sin is sin is sin. And this is what, when we talk about partiality, there's not supposed to be a partiality we show to sin. We're supposed to walk a life of faith, but not, not allowing sin to camp in our lives. I can't be the only one in the room. 
that has had compromises and things that I've settled on because, you know, let me work on the big stuff. Let me work on the big stuff and this this really isn't, you know, I, I can deal with that later. Or that it said, I don't want to deal with that right now. It's just too hard. It requires time and effort and work and commitment that I'm just not willing to make right now. So I'm just going to let it sit dormant. You guys, sin doesn't sit dormant. Sin kills. Gossip. Fear. Anger. Accusation. Agreeing with shame. Self-pity. Blame. These are great examples of of sins that can flow like a second nature to us. But when I was thinking about these things, I thought about something they all have in common. They all have big butts. And I cannot lie. What do I mean? We do we do these things. And sometimes they just come instinctively. And then we turn to God and we say, Lord, I'm sorry. But, Lord, I'm sorry. But you know how frustrating they are. Lord, I'm sorry. But they had it coming. Lord, I'm sorry. But this is just how I am. And you made me this way. I'm sorry, Lord, but it's not like I'm killing anybody. I love that James states the obvious. I love that he's ridiculously obvious in the things that he points out. But his point was made when he talks about if we are guilty of part, we are guilty of all. And then here's a good but. But the blood of Jesus paid for all of it. But our lives are meant to come into agreement with that work. Our lives are meant to declare his faithfulness and not tiptoe around the things that we don't want to give to him and that we haven't surrendered. Let's stop showing favoritism and partiality. And, and we, we covered this a few weeks ago. Let's stop, sh- let's stop showing favoritism to people of social or economic standing. We talked about showing partiality and favoritism to ourselves. And let's make sure that we're living a life surrendered to the Lord. And I want to point out something obvious. And I don't think we can say it enough the sins, the little ones, the big ones, all of them. They're not ours. They've been paid for. They've been bought. They're not ours. Jesus Christ paid for our sins. He paid for our shame. He paid for our guilt. He paid for these things. They are His. They are not ours. Either Either we should just poo-poo the little compromises in our lives and just tolerate them. Or we should treat them with the same sense of urgency saying, I'm not trying to be dramatic, but those sins are what nailed Jesus to the cross. Friends, let's not take lightly the work of Jesus Christ. Let's not take lightly the blood of Jesus Christ. Not one drop of his blood was shed in vain. Not one. Not one. 
It all had purpose. Every stripe and wound that he bore had purpose. Every drop of blood that hit the ground changed the world with purpose. Before we move on, just a closing encouragement on that part. The bondage, the shame, the death. All paid for. This is the good news. This is the good news. We cling to the work of Jesus Christ. And we don't refer to it in, in some distant tense. We get to walk in relationship with Him. Let's move on. Verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. Speak as those who are going to be judged by the law of liberty. Act as those who are going to be judged by the law of liberty. So let's break this down. What is the law of liberty? Romans 8 communicates it very, very nicely. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Liberty and freedom fulfilled in us who no longer walk to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Guys, it is time to send partiality packing. We are to walk according to the Spirit of God. Not, not in religion. I'm not talking about this, okay, let's go ahead and reinstitute a checklist. And we've got to make sure we, we knock all those things off the checklist. That's not what I'm talking about. But when we walk according to the Spirit of God, we should look more and more like Him. We should sound more and more like Him. You know, when I go out, this is the honest truth. So I grew up in Southern California. And when I go out to East L.A. to be with Jody Romero, I promise you this. I, I start sounding a little Mexican. I do. I start, you know, saying like, having like an East L.A. kind of, orale pues, you know what I mean? I just start, I start sounding like, I just, I get up, we study together, we go eat together. And next thing I know, I'm like, man, I picked up, you know, my East, L, my East Los accent. I was born in North Carolina. We go home for any bit of time. I guarantee I'm going to start saying y'all a little bit more. And it just happens. How much more so should that be the case that when we spend time with Jesus, we start acting like Him and sounding like Him and we walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. The problem we make is we think that's good enough just being once a week. We think it's good enough just being on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning. So who is the law of liberty? This one's so easy. You can answer this one. Who's the law of liberty? Jesus Christ. The fulfiller of the requirement of the law. Living in us. So how does Jesus, the law of liberty, judge? How does he judge? With mercy. With grace. Free of condemnation. 
Verse 12 again. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. So how should we speak? If we're going to be judged by Jesus with grace and mercy, without condemnation, how should we speak? Let me start off with this. We should speak with words of thanks and gratitude. With honor and with reverence. We hear a lot of scriptures, and so sometimes we just, we lose the power of them. Guys, we're judged with grace and mercy. So how should we speak? With thanks. With a grateful heart. With honor. With reverence. Anybody ever been to traffic court? Anybody been to traffic court like six or seven times? <laughs> Why is it the guys with the cowboy hats? Rebels. The times I've stood before the judge in traffic court, and I him and haw, and I make sure I'm using the right terms. Yeah, uh, yes, uh, your excellency. Um, I, you know, if, if that's how fast they say I was going, then they wouldn't lie. I mean, the, you know, I, I, I trust you guys and you're honorable and your honor. And I know I, I didn't realize how, how fast I was going, uh, until I saw the red and blue lights. Um, but you know, I, you know, I curtsy, whatever. Question. Just some traffic court judge. Why would we speak to a judge with such honor and reference? Why? Now I heard because they can throw us in jail. Who 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 agrees with that? Because they could throw us in jail. Okay, I don't agree. Because see, when I when I go sixty in, in a forty, I expect punishment. When I go before that judge, it says on my ticket what I should expect. I should expect judgment. I should expect penalty. Right? I I did the crime. I'm going to do the time. I expect punishment. We speak with honor and reverence to that judge because he has the power to show mercy. Right? We walk in expecting judgment. We walk in expecting to do the time. You guys, we show honor and God and, and, and reverence toward God because we know what we deserve and because He shows mercy and because He shows grace. So we show honor and we show reverence and we give thanks. I walk into a traffic court and, and they knock that down to a you know, one point ticket, or let's just say by some miraculous, they just wave it completely. They just, you're, you're forgiven of it. Slow down. Get out of here. Get out of my courtroom. I'm going to tell everybody what happened. I'm going to tell everybody about this incredible judge and that he showed mercy on me. So when James poses, so speak as one to be judged. By the law of freedom and liberty. We're to speak to the Lord with reverence, with 
with honor. That's why when we come into this place and we give thanks and we give praise, that's important, guys. We give thanks and praise in worship. And we make declarations. And we, we make ex- just thrilling gestures to God because He is worthy. Because we know what we deserved. And He said, no, 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 no. Grace, mercy, forgiveness. You're awesome. Gosh, you're so awesome. That's what He says to us. So when we come into this place, we should act the fool in worship. We should be totally expressive. And when we speak to others about this righteous judge, we should be telling everybody because everyone who walks into our righteous judge's courtroom gets the same grace, gets the same mercy. If they will believe and place their trust in Jesus Christ, then they leave with the same cancellation of debt. Jesus is the law of liberty and mercy. And he has already rendered his judgment. And friends, we got to hear this. Not guilty. Not guilty. Free. Spotless. Blameless. Redeemed. That's God's declaration over us. Throw out the checklist if we have a checklist. Throw out the scale if we have a scale. We walk according to faith. We walk according to the Spirit of God. And you know what? When we fall, we get back up and we go, all right, that's, that's part of it. Okay, I'm back in the race. I'm, we walk according to faith. And we should speak according to faith. We should honor God according to faith. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. So we talked about how we should speak. So how should we act? If we're going to be judged by Jesus with mercy and without condemnation, how should we act? You guys, we, we have got we got to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. There has to be faith without works is dead. There has to be action behind our lives. It can't just be what we say. It has to be what we live and we have to walk it out. And by no means does this... It's okay if I say it a million times. This isn't instituting a list of rights and wrongs. Okay? Acting it out and walking by faith. We're going to blow it. But the beauty of spending time with Him is that the the responses we get from Him every time is grace. I love the example of, of when my kids... We're learning to walk. And we've got a lot of babies in this church. We've got a lot of little ones who are going to be learning how to walk soon. And we're sitting there pleading with them. Come on, buddy. Come on, buddy. Come here. Come on. Come on. You can do it. They take one step and fall down. And what do we do? Yay! Oh, you did so good! Yay! He walked! Come here. Do it again, buddy. Get up. How much more so does our Father in Heaven celebrate us walking it out. Not saying, yeah, f- golly gee. Honey, your side of the family. Your side of the family. My side of the family walked, took at least three steps. Baby, that's on you. The fall. What do you think God's, our perfect Father's response is to us with the fall? Get up, buddy. It's alright. Come on, come on. Get up. Look, look right here. Look right here. Come on. 
That's our God. That's the one we rave about. That's the one we tell everyone about. That's the one we, we say, you've got to know what he has done for me. That he wiped away what, what I rightfully earned. It was called a wage. I earned it. I worked for that wage of sin. I earned that. And the consequence of that wage was death. But God gave me something I didn't deserve. Grace and mercy. Our actions begin with mercy towards others. Letting Jesus judge. Our actions begin with mercy towards others. Letting Jesus judge. With grace. With mercy. With no condemnation. I looked in the mirror before church. And you know what I I did not see? A powdered wig. And when I look out here, I don't see any robes. I don't see any gabbles. Maybe a couple wigs, but they're not powdered. It is not our place to judge. We are not the judges. The results of us judging will always be bad. I don't care how gracious we think we are. He is the judge, and we should leave the judging to Him. We should act mercifully, gracefully, walking out our faith with our eyes on Jesus Christ, just like that little baby, to his mom, to his dad. Verse 13. For judgment will be merciless. You know what merciless means? Yeah, without mercy. That one's pretty easy. Judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I love that. I love that. Because no longer does mercy sound like something weak. Mercy's the stud in the school. Judgment's the one that is weak. Mercy triumphs over judgment. When it's us or any of us doing the judgment. It's weak. It's accusatory. It's flawed. When we speak with the mercy of God, it brings life. It brings liberty. It brings power. The Greek word for judgment here is krisis. Spelled K-R-I-S-S. K-R-I-S-I-S. And it's the same word where we get crisis from. Check out the definition of crisis. We all know what it means, but I promise I'll tie it together. So the first definition of crisis, a time of intense difficulty, trouble, or danger. Okay? But check out these additional definitions. And think about them in the context of judgment. Second definition, just according to the the dictionary of crisis, a time when a difficult or important decision must be made. A time when a difficult or an important decision or judgment must be made. Thus the need for a perfect judge. In times of crisis, we have need of the perfect judge who judges perfectly. Of a perfect father who fathers perfectly. Of a perfect savior who did a completed, finished work and left nothing to chance. And now is sitting down because it is finished. This last definition of crisis. The turning point of a disease 
when change takes place, indicating either recovery or death. I believe that there's a turning point in our lives when the disease of sin either kills us and brings death or change takes place and we recover from that path and we receive healing, deliverance, salvation. We receive sozo. We receive that Greek word for salvation. Salvation, healing, deliverance. But I believe this turning point takes place in our lives when we truly embrace the heart of God and we choose to forgive. I believe it. I believe it. Jesus drives this point home. When we choose to forgive, when we choose to have mercy. You don't believe me? Read Matthew 18. Read the, the story of prior to Jesus telling the story, Peter going, how many times should I forgive, Lord? And he's grandstanding about the amount of times that Seven. Jesus says, let me tell you a story. And it talks about not forgiving. It talks about not showing mercy. It talks about a servant being forgiven of a debt he could never, he could never repay. You guys, we're that servant and that debt is the debt of sin. And it says that the king forgave the debt. The man pleads, be patient with me and I'll, I'll, I'll repay everything. Nah, you're forgiven. And then on the way out, that servant runs into another servant who owes him whatever. Who cares? Who cares? Honestly, who cares at that point in the story what the other servant owed him? He was just forgiven a debt that he could never repay. Who cares what the other guy owed him? And he showed no mercy. And he showed no grace. And he showed no forgiveness. And he had that guy and his family thrown in jail. When the king found out, he was furious. Called him in and said, you wicked servant. I forgave you everything. And you refused to forgive this other. So he took the man, his wife, his kids. Surrendered them to the tormentor. Which I believe is what unforgiveness does. Unforgiveness surrenders us to the tormentor. And causes bitterness and harshness surrendered him to the tormentor until the debt could be repaid, which was already established it could never be repaid. And then Jesus says these profound words, this is what my Father in heaven will do to you if you refuse to forgive. You guys, when we walk in faith, the most obvious and consistent trait that we are supposed to demonstrate is mercy. It is mercy. And Jesus cares about mercy. And God cares about mercy. The Holy Spirit cares about mercy. Let's just make it a trifecta. It, God cares about mercy. We should demonstrate mercy. We're not the judge. So speak as one to be judged by the law of liberty. Act as one to be judged by the law of liberty. You guys, we're to act as one who has been forgiven a debt that was so heavy that we could never repay. We must choose to let Jesus be the judge at every time of intense difficulty, trouble, and danger. Going back to that definition of crisis. 
We must choose to let Jesus be the judge at every time when a difficult or important decision must be made. Verse 14, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Let's just, let's just go ahead and put our cards on the table. Showing mercy is work. Right? Showing mercy is work. And it is hard. And it doesn't necessarily come easy or flow naturally from us. But I promise, the more we spend time with God, it'll come more and more easy. It'll come more and more natural. That's the benefit of why we have relationship with Jesus Christ and why we spend time with Him. So it just flows. Intentional, thoughtful, difficult showing of mercy is better than no showing of mercy. But the more we spend time with God, it flows from us. We look like Him. We sound like Him. Showing mercy is work, and it's included in the type of good works that James is challenging the work to do, the church to do. James is challenging the church to good works, and showing mercy is one of them. Friends, the only faith that can save is the one that's walked out with eyes on Jesus Christ, having received his salvation, received his forgiveness, received his grace, and walking it out and not beating ourselves up when we stumble, but getting back up in in the race, getting back up with our eyes set on Jesus Christ. The only faith that can save is the one that's freely demonstrated by our lifestyle of worship and speech of gratitude and thanks. Not because anyone makes us. Not because that's what we have to do when we come in here. Because we can't help ourselves when we come in here. And we can't help ourselves when we go out there either. And by acting it out in demonstrations of mercy and grace. You're merciful. You're so gracious. And mercy just flows from you. You're the epitome of grace. When I look at you, that's all I see is mercy and grace. And this is the most merciful and the most gracious group of people I've ever seen. Grace just flows from you. I don't even see you. I just see grace. I see your heart. I see mercy. And every response is just mercy. Gosh, that's incredible. Such grace. That's coming from the heart of the Father towards us. That's how He sees us. That's how He created us. That's what we should be prophesying over one another. That's what we should be speaking and declaring over one another. That is our destiny. That is our heritage. That is our DNA. And in that, we walk according to the Spirit. Let's pray.